Well, let me do a little uh, review for you if I could. You are aware that time began when God created man and placed him in a garden, made a woman from the rib of of that man, and placed her in the garden as well. Uh, They were in a perfect environment, the Garden of Eden. Uh, That garden was perfect in every way. There was no need that Adam and Eve had that was not met in that environment. Yet under the influence of the serpent, the woman sinned by eating of the fruit that God forbid her not to eat. And the man sinned by being enticed by the woman, and he ate of the fruit as well. Now, I know that's a familiar story. That's why I said this is a review for as we start. But I want to propose something to you as uh, as background this morning, as we begin our message. I think we can all agree, first of all, about this. I think the first sin came into the world uh, by the eating of that fruit. That was based in pride uh, and challenging the authority of God. Man had pride in him and challenged God's authority by eating of that fruit. I don't think there's much argument about that. But what set the climate for that sin? Why would that happen? Why would those two do that? Uh, I think that the pride and the uh, uh, questioning God's authority started it, but what caused that? Now, you may disagree with this, and I won't argue with you if you do, but I believe the attitude that was set up that caused all of that was the attitude of discontentment. I think that's where it started. I think evil came into the world prior to creation because of discontent. I think uh, Satan rebelled because of discontent. I think Satan rebelled because he challenged God's authority and spoke his I wills to God because he was not content with his position in God's system. And I think Satan brought that attitude into the garden when he appeared before Adam and Eve that day. And in the same way that Satan rebelled, I think Adam and Eve ate of the fruit because through Satan's subtle approach, they became discontent with God's decree that they shouldn't eat of that tree. They thought they could gain more if they did and were frustrated by the fact that God wouldn't let them do it. And so I think they each made choices against God's plan and sinned out of the attitude of discontentment. Now, what should Adam and Eve have done? Well, they were in a perfect garden with every need met, perfect fellowship with God himself, no temptation ever crossing their mind, never an unclean thought, never an unclean word. It was perfect in that place. And living in that environment, of all things, Adam and Eve should have been thankful. They should have been thankful. Satan should have been thankful as well for being placed second in command over all of God's kingdom. That position was given to Satan by God's grace and was not something that Satan had earned when he secured that position. How grateful he should have been. Adam and Eve should have been thankful they were permitted to reside in that garden. They lived in constant fellowship with God and enjoyed all of his blessings all the time. How grateful they should have been. But they weren't. They weren't grateful. They were not content with what God had given to them. They weren't thankful for God's blessings. And that lack of contentment led to their sin, which brought sin to every person born onto this earth. And so I think if all all that is true, and I believe that it is, to my way of thinking, discontent is the greatest adversary, the greatest enemy of thanksgiving. And that's why we call the message this morning, Thanksgiving's Greatest Adversary. If we want to avoid being thankful in our lives, we just need to foster an attitude of discontent. We just need to become frustrated with what God has given to us and begin to wonder why he hasn't given us more. We begin, we need to become frustrated with how our lives are going and for what God has allowed into our lives. And I guarantee you, if you foster that attitude in your life, I guarantee you, if that occurs in your life, you're not going to be thankful. You're not going to be thankful at all. You'll become frustrated with what God has given to you. We need to be, we, we become frustrated and therefore we can't be thankful. However, that is not the attitude God wants us to have. There's a command given to us in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. Don't turn there, but here's the command. It's as important as any other command in the word of God. 
And the command is this, three words, be ye thankful. There's a command from God. So if God wants us to be thankful, in fact, if God commands us to be thankful, if God wants us in a state of constant appreciation for all that is done for us and all that is given to us, then we must avoid discontentment in our lives. We must work not to be dissatisfied with what comes into our lives or does not come into our lives, no matter what that might be. And since God wants us to be thankful, and since God commands us to be thankful, he gives us principles in the word of God to address this matter of discontent. Our message this morning coincides very well with what we're studying in the book of Job. And the principles that Job is is demonstrating to us are going to be found also in another Old Testament account. You heard it read to you this morning, Jeremiah chapter 29. Turn there if you would. If you're not there, turn there now if you would. I want to focus this morning on this account that God gives to us through this Old Testament prophet. And as we look at the principles found here in the first six verses of this chapter, it is our goal to find ways to address this matter of discontent. Discontent is the great enemy of thanksgiving in our lives. Unless we address that and neutralize it, we will never fulfill God's command to be thankful. Now, the background of Jeremiah 29, uh, Matt read for you this morning. In fact, I had Matt read those first three verses, so I didn't have to read them with all those names in it. I thought he could butcher those names rather than me do it, so that's why I had him do that this morning. However, as you see there these in the first verses here, Israel has been taken captive by the nation of Israel. And Jeremiah is writing a letter to those who are exiled in that faraway place. Now, if you can imagine being there this morning in that exiled land, far away from the country that they loved, the country they called home, that's where they're at. And they felt abandoned and rejected and unloved and discouraged and forgotten. And because they had lost all faith in God, because they did not believe what his prophets had said to them, they also saw no way at all out of these circumstances. As far as they were concerned, they were going to live and die in this foreign land. How could they sing the songs of Zion in that place? How could they ever find hope, knowing that it was their sinful and foolish choices that placed them there to begin with? And how could they move forward, knowing that God had told them they would be in exile for 70 years? And yet, in chapter 29 and verse 4 of Jeremiah, God gives them an answer to all that their concerns. Look at verse 4, if you would. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. The first principle to address this matter of discontent is this. God is in control of all things. God is in control of all things. Look at what God says. He says there, you are in Babylon because I carried you there, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. It may have been your free will, God says, that, and the choices you made that started the process. It may have been the army of the Babylonians that took you there physically, but it was my sovereignty that concluded the matter. You are where you are today, he tells Israel, because I did it. I was in control of all of it. And so Israel can't blame the Babylonians. Israel made the choice to sin. And God took them where they needed to go in response and in consequence to that sin. Now, here's a Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9. He says, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. A man may make plans, but God sets the steps. That describes perfectly what happened with Israel. They decided on the way they wanted to go, and God did nothing more than respond to their choice. But in the end, it was God who was in control. It was God who determined the destination after they sinned. Now, let me ask you a question. Don't answer this out loud. Just answer to yourself. 
Do you believe that God is involved in the affairs of this life? Do you believe that God has a hand in every event that occurs in this life, whether talking about the world or our nation or our church or our individual lives? Now, if you don't believe that, it won't matter what happens to you because you'll never see his hand at work, even in the darkest moments. And if you don't believe that, then you have found the cure for thanksgiving. If you don't believe that God has his hand in all things, you're going to live in a constant state of discontent. But if you do believe that, if you believe God has his hand upon all the affairs of this life, then that changes everything. Because what that means, folks, is is that God has taken personal responsibility for everything that occurs in your life, even those things that you might identify as catastrophes. God has his hand in all that. I read a quote by a preacher from the past. He said this. He said, everything in the universe is either caused by God or is allowed by God, and there's no third choice. (laughs) Well, I like that. Many like to create this third option, that some things happen for no particular reason. Uh, Some want to believe that life is nothing more than a series of random events with no higher purpose. But that category does not exist. Because God made all things, God is involved in everything that he made. So what that means is that right now, each person in this room this morning, each person listening to this message today, are where they are because God wants them to be there. God has you right where he wants you. Right where he wants you. We may be upset about that thing. We may not be happy about that thing. But that has no bearing on it whatsoever. We are where we are right now because it's where God wants us to be. How do I know that? I know that because if that weren't the case, I'd be somewhere else. (laughs) If God didn't want me where I was, because God has his hand in all things, if I wasn't where I was, God would put me where he wanted me to be. So I am where I am today because God wants me here. God wants me right where I'm at. And if I refuse to accept that, I have chosen to accommodate the adversary of thanksgiving. I've chosen to be discontent, and I will remain discontent as a result. But instead of allowing that to be our way of thinking, the better choice is to praise God that he is in control of all things. Aren't you glad there's a higher purpose to everything that occurs? (laughs) This world is going crazy, uh, nationally, internationally. This world is going nuts. God has his hand over all of it. Nothing is happening outside of his control. Praise God for that this morning. Praise God for that. God has everything going on just like he wants it to go. Because of God's great sovereignty and because of his concern for us, everything that is happening in our lives right now is happening just like it ought to happen. It is happening because you may not believe this sometimes, but God knows what is best for you, and God always acts out of love and out of a concern for you, no matter what happens. And so the words to defeat the attitude of discontent and lead to thanksgiving are simply this. I am right where God wants me to be. I am right where God wants me to be. What is happening in my life right now is exactly what needs to be happening. I may not know why, but I know that I'm not here by chance. I know that God in his mercy and in his love has placed me here and is allowing these events in my life right now. And therefore, I will rest in peace in God's sovereignty. I'll rest in peace in the perfect plan of God. That attitude reduces discontent in our lives and will greatly increase our attitude of thanksgiving. That's the first principle. Here's the second one. This will help also defeat discontentment and lead to thanksgiving. Here it is. We are called to make the most of our present circumstances. 
We are called to make the most of our present circumstances. Go back to Jeremiah 29, if you would, and look at verse 5. Listen to what God says. Now, listen, they are in a foreign land, a land they don't want to be in, the land of the enemy. And he says to them, build ye houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that ye may be increased there and not diminished. Now, that is not at all what the people expected to hear. That's not at all what they wanted to hear. He says to them, God says to these people in exile, build houses and settle down, marry and have sons and daughters. He tells them to find wives for their sons and give their daughters to be wives in marriage so they might have sons and daughters. He tells them to increase and not to decrease in their numbers. Now, what did they want to hear God say? I'm sure they wanted to hear God say something more like this. I know you're not happy here. I know this is not the place you want to be. I've got good news for you. Just sit tight. And in a few minutes, I'm going to have you out of here. I'm going to solve your problems and all your troubles will be done. Very, very soon, they would like to hear God say, I'll have you out of this place and you'll be home again. Not at all what God said. Not at all what God said. He said, settle down and make the best of it because you're going to be there for a very, very long time. 70 years to be exact. And God wants you and I to have the same attitude today in regard to our circumstances. We can whine and complain about where we are. We can complain about where we live or the job that we have or the financial situation that we're dealing with. We can complain about how we've been treated or about our health condition or about the problems of our church or about the problems with our pastor or the staff of the church. We can decide not to do all those things or we can decide not to spend a single moment looking back. And instead, we can look forward to doing whatever it is God wants us to do in the place he has put us in right at this very moment. The longer I live, the more I read God's word, the more I realize that God's will is not a destination. God's will is not a time and a place. God's will is not a specific circumstance. God's will is a journey. God's will is a path that I must commit myself to and follow that path until God turns me a different direction. I've learned that wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I must always keep my eyes open to what God would have for me to do next. It's a journey that God has us on. If you had told me 12 years ago I'd be pastoring a church in Perry Township, I'd have laughed at you and told you you were crazy. (laughs) If you had told me last year that this church would be in a new building this year, I would have seen you as some sort of a nut. In fact, if you had told me that six months ago, I'd have told you you were some sort of a nut. (laughs) I had no plans to do any of that. Uh, Twelve years ago, my plan was to stay at my job and teach an adult Sunday school class and serve God where I was. That was my plan. One year ago, I was completely satisfied in the building God had given to us, and I had plans to stay there for a very, very long time. That was my plan. I heard a preacher say one time, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Just tell God your plans. What God calls us to do is accomplish the work where he has placed us. And we don't need to get focused on where he has placed us. All the, please hear, all the circumstances, folks, are all secondary. That's just the place you're at. That doesn't really mean a whole lot. We are where we, li- we are, whether we like it or not, and that is not the issue. The issue is, what are we doing while we're here? What are you doing while you're in that place? If we are serving God faithfully there, that is all God asks. 
And if at some point in time, God gives us a new job or a new location or a new financial situation or changes the health situation, whatever it might be, all we do is follow that plan and do what God has us to do in that new place. That's what it's, that's what it's all about. The worst thing any believer can do is play the if-only game. You ever play the if-only game? If only I were married. If only I'd be, uh, if only I could make more money. If only I could uh, uh, get a promotion. If only I could get a different job. If only I could go on and on and on, whatever it might be. If only I could do this, then I'd be happy. If only, if only, if only. On and on it goes. Listen to me. God wants you living in the present. He wants you living where you are right now. And you say, I don't like where I am right now. That doesn't matter. Is God in control of all things? Then you're right where he wants you to be. God says, make the best of where you are right now. Live in the present. Live where you are. And don't say, if only it were different, that only gets your eyes off of where God has you, and you lose your purpose for being there. God doesn't want you to take control. God does not want you mapping out your future. God simply wants you to live where you are and doing what he has called you to do, where you are. And listen to me, let God handle the future. He's really, really good at it. <laughs> let him take care of the future. And if I will do that, if I will bloom where I'm planted, so to speak, three things are going to result. First of all, God's will will be accomplished. Secondly, discontent will be eliminated. And number three, thanksgiving will result. Thanksgiving will always result, will always result if I remove discontent from my life. Now, there's a third thing we must do if you want to defeat this adversary of discontent and truly be thankful. Uh, God says in Colossians, be thankful. It's a command. How can we make that happen? Well, here's the third principle, and it really follows from the one I just gave you. We must come to grips with reality. <laughs> come to grips with reality. If God requires us to settle in Babylon, then God, re- if God requires us to make the best of a bad situation, then we must come to grips with the fact that that is the only choice that we have and is what we have to do. If this is where God has placed me, if this is where God wants me, I've got to come to terms with that. This is where God wants me. This is where he's placed me. Now, often that is the most difficult thing to do. There's something, very few things that are more difficult than that. But I will tell you this. We do ourselves no favors whatsoever by trying to convince ourselves that things are different than what they are. Uh, In fact, folks, many people who put a great deal of work into pretending that the situation they find themselves in is really not all that bad or really isn't what they really think it is. It's something different. All that pretending doesn't change a thing. The situation they're in does not change from all that effort. In almost every case, in fact, I'm going to say in every case, the best choice to make is to realize that for now you are in Babylon. You're not getting out anytime soon. And it's in God's timing when you do get out. Right now, if you find yourself in Babylon, embrace the fact that is where God has you. Accept that and let God do his work through that and learn more about him as he does it. And I want you to look at this verse again because God tells them in verse 6, Take wise, beget sons and daughters. Uh, give wise, uh, give, get, take wise for your sons. Give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters. God wants them expanding in that land. He wants them having children in this exiled nation of Babylon, the worst place on earth to be, the most evil place on earth to be. And God says, have kids there. Have kids there. You know what God's telling us there? I believe this with all my heart. God says, when you find yourself in Babylon, be a model to the next generation. When you find yourself in a place you don't want to be, 
Be a model to the next generation. Show the next generation how to accept God's plan and how to thrive in difficult circumstances. God wants you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, to model thanksgiving even when things are not going how we want them to go. God wants us to demonstrate to others the right attitude to have when things don't go as we planned them to go or how we expected them to go. Our children, those in your sphere of influence, need to see how parents and grandparents and mature believers choose to be thankful in the most difficult of times. They need to see us uh, continuing to be thankful and serving God, even when the situation we find ourselves in is the most difficult. The next generation needs to see a model of what to do when the health fails and when the job ends and when the family struggles and when the finances turn. The next generation needs to see a model from a group of believers who simply stay faithful, who continue to praise God and thank God, even when they're trapped in Babylon with no way out. And they're thanking God anyway. That's what we need to see. And by the way, the current generation needs to see that as well. And by the way, your church needs to see that as well. Uh, You may not believe this. There's people watching you, especially if they know you're going through something. And there's people watching to see how you're going to manage that thing. And one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to be encouraged by what you do and push forward or discouraged by what you do and pull back. I've known way too many believers who get themselves in a difficult situation and quit on God. It's not worth it. I'm going to do something else. And that's horrible for them. It's also horrible for all those around them who are watching what they do. Praise God for those believers who are finding themselves in a difficult situation and just stay with the stuff. Praise God for them. And we need more of them, I'm telling you. We need, especially in this day and age, we need more of them. The next generation needs to see a model of those who are thankful. The current generation needs to see a model of those who are thankful. Our entire world needs to see the demonstration of a believer who faces the adversary of discontent and rather than allowing it to take control, uh, thanks and praises God through it in spite of the circumstances. Amen. I'm going to preface these next remarks by saying this. I'm clearly aware that believers go through some very difficult times. I understand that. I've worked with folks for a long, long time. I get it. I am in no way minimizing the gravity of the situations that believers go through. But at the same time, (laughs) it is time for God's people to work on not whining and complaining every time adversity comes. And I mean that. And I'm not talking about anybody in particular. I'm just saying in general. If you're on any kind of social media at all, most of that is just whining and complaining. And oftentimes from believers who should know better. Instead, we as mature believers need to come to grips with the reality of the situation, realize it may not change or may not change quickly, and thank God in spite of it. Thank God in spite of it. I'm going to give you three simple phrases that are at the root of spiritual growth for a child of God at the root of accepting the reality of a situation they're in. Here are the three, three statements, folks. I can't go back. I can't stay here. I must move forward. I can't go back. I can't stay here. I must go forward. The first phrase, I can't go back. I can't go back to when times were better. I can't go back and fix what I did in the past. I can't go back and go to where things weren't like they are now. Uh, I can't go back. Number two, I can't stay here. I've not yet arrived. I've not yet, I'm not yet all God has called me to be. 
I've not yet learned everything God needs me to know to be more like Jesus Christ. How to live how he wants me to live to be the presence of my world, uh, to Jesus, of Jesus Christ in my world. So I can't stay here. And number three, listen to me. I must go forward. I must go forward. I must go forward. I must move forward. Even in the midst of a difficult time, even when I'm at a place where I have no desire to be, I can't sit and moan and complain about that thing. I've got to go forward. I've got to go forward. I must see where God wants me to see, what God wants me to see in this thing. I must face what I am, where I am, and learn lessons from that, where I'm at in the present, so that I can move forward and become more like Jesus Christ in the future. Because where I am right now, believer, where you are right now and what you are experiencing right now, is God in control of all things? And he's right where he wants you to be. Where you are right now is where God wants you to be. Whatever you are dealing with right now is what God wants you dealing with right now. And I can complain and moan about it, and that only encourages the adversary of discontent to take foothold in my life. And discontent will ruin the lesson that God wants for me to learn. Only by facing reality and thanking God, not necessarily for the circumstances, thanking God in spite of the circumstances. Only by doing that will his true work be accomplished in my life. So with all that said, what's the bottom line? What do we need to take out of here this morning as we leave this place and celebrate Thanksgiving, however we do that, on Thursday? I'm going to give you four statements this morning that summarize the message. We're not done yet, folks, so don't close your Bibles. Four statements I want to give you this morning to summarize all this. First of all, whatever situation we find ourselves in, we're in that situation by the sovereign will of God. We're not there by chance. We don't believe in chance. There's no chance in the child of God's life. You know that, right? There's no fate in your life. You don't wish for or hope for anything in the worldly sense. You are not where you are today by the whims of fate. You are not there because the universe decided you should be there. You are there because God is in control of every part of your life and put you right where you need to be. That's number one. Number two. Hear this, please. We can serve God where we are right now. We can serve God where we are right now. I've talked to many, many believers who have said to me, when this is all over, I'll start serving God again. When this situation is finally finished, I'll start serving God again. When I'm out of this place, out of this situation, then I'll start serving, start serving God again. That is nowhere in the Bible anywhere. With a double negative to make it clear. <laughs> you can serve God where you are right now. Don't stop serving because of your circumstances. Now, your servings may change. It may not be the same as it was before, but don't stop serving. Don't stop serving. I can serve God where I am right now. In fact, listen to me. If God has you where he wants you, you couldn't serve God any better than where you are right now. If God's in control, and he is in control. You won't serve God someplace better in the future if you are where you are right now by God's control. God has put you in the place you are in right now because right now that is a place where you will be most effective in your service to him. You say, I don't understand that. Don't try to understand that. That's trying to understand God. Don't try to understand it. Just realize that's what the book says. And just trust the book. Trust what God says. So you see, the place where we are right now is where we're going to learn what we need to learn. The place where we are right now is a place where we're going to grow like we need to grow. The place where we are right now is the best place to accomplish the purpose that God has for us right now. 
Number three, listen, to me, folks, listen to me. The flesh is going to fight this every step of the way, so hear me. We can glorify God where we are right now. Amen. We can glorify God where we are right now. What the situation is. Again, don't have to wait till things get better before we can give God glory. Don't have to wait until every need is supplied before we give God glory. Don't have to wait until the situation is completely resolved or until we are no longer afflicted before we praise God and give him glory. Here's what I know. God deserves, deserves glory no matter where we are. He deserves glory no matter what you're dealing with right now. No matter what it is. Circumstances don't affect the glory of God. God deserves, deserves, I can't say that word. God deserves glory no matter where you are. And God's glory is not dependent on our circumstances. Our praise to God is not dependent on where we are. Our praise to God is dependent on who he is. On who he is. And he is the same no matter what the circumstances are that we find ourselves in. We can glorify God in every situation. In, In captivity or in our own land, it makes no difference. Because no matter where we are, please hear me this morning, folks, and some of you need to hear this today. No matter where you are, the mercy and the grace and the love of God never change. Now, it may get a little dim sometimes. (laughs) may have a more difficult time seeing it, but that doesn't change a thing. That's our problem, not his. God's mercy and God's grace and God's love never change. Those things continue whether you are in Babylon or in the promised land. We can thank him regardless of where we are this morning because of the fact that God's grace and God's mercy and God's love always continue. Number four. If I complain, I'm attacking the Lord and not serving the Lord. A complaint is not a ministry. Uh, Matt talked about the spiritual gifts. Complaining is not a spiritual gift. (laughs) Uh, Some believers exercise that thing like like it's a gift. It is not a gift. (laughs) If I complain, I'm saying that God is not good and God is not in control. Now, I understand, folks, we are in this flesh, and sometimes this flesh gets the best of us. I understand all that. But the principle is this. If I complain, what I'm saying in that complaint is God is not good and somebody else is controlling my life. I'm saying God does not care about me like he says he does. I'm saying God's mercy and God's grace and God's love run out at some point that there is not an infinite supply of those things to his children. I want to tell you something, folks. And praise God, it's not a huge problem here. Every complaint that comes out of our mouths is an attack against God. They need to hear that. I need to hear that. When I complain, what I'm saying is God messed up. What I'm saying is God's plan wasn't perfect. When I complain, what I'm saying is God didn't do what he said he was going to do. If everything that I just said to you is true, then where we are right now is where God wants us to be. It's the best place for us to be. If I complain about that, what I'm saying is God may be in control, but he sure has created a lousy plan for me. (laughs) Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And look at verse 13. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, Therefore it is God, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Doeth all things without murmurings and disputings. 
Now, we often quote verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings, even though many believers don't practice it, we all quote it. I want you to see the context of verse 14. The context of verse 14 is verse 13. We are not to murmur. We are not to involve ourselves in disputes. Why? Because God works his will in us to do of his pleasure. I don't murmur. I don't dispute. Why? Because I am directly where God wants me to be. If I murmur and dispute, what am I saying? I am murmuring and disputing not against the circumstances. I am murmuring and disputing against the will of God. That's what I'm doing. A discontent is not a comment on the circumstances. Discontent is a comment on the one who controls the circumstances. So here's the bottom line. It all comes down to this. Do we believe God or don't we? Do you believe him or not? What he said is either true or it's not true. It can't be both. It's got to be one or the other. Either what he said in that book is true, or it's a complete lie, falsification, throw it out. It's one or the other. So, do you believe what God says about himself? Do you believe him? Do you believe that God will give you what you need right now in the circumstances you find yourself in? Do you believe right now, where you're at right this minute, is right where God wants you, and he'll provide for you even in the place you're in right now? Or do we think somehow God has allowed us to arrive in the wrong place? That he will not provide for us and what we need to somehow take care of it ourselves. Again, it can only be the other folks. There comes a point where as we complain and dwell in discontentment that we no longer believe that God will do what he said he was going to do or that God is who he says that he is. And what our discontent shows us is that we believe God for salvation, no longer believe him for our daily walk. I trust that God did the best for me when he saved me, but after that, I'm on my own because he doesn't know what he's doing. And that's exactly what we say. When we complain, that's what we're saying. That's what we're saying. I may not be where I want to be. I may not be able to do all that I want to do. But I can still praise him. I can still praise him. I may not like where I'm at. I don't have to like where I'm at. I may not have chosen this place for myself. I may have chosen something totally different. Believer, you can still praise him in that place. You can still praise him in that place. And it's not superhuman to do it. I can joyfully accept where I am right now in the circumstances that I find myself in right now as I realize where I am at right now is God's perfect plan for me. Where I am right now I can always pray. I can always pray to him. I can always be thankful for who he is. I can always praise him for how much he cares about me. No matter where I'm at, I can do that. And we'll be amazed how our perspective will change. Not as we focus not on the circumstances, but rather praising the God who is in control of the circumstances. A few years ago, I was talking to a lady, and since you don't know her, I can tell you a little bit about her. Here's what she told me. Uh, she came for counseling because of concerns regarding her marriage. And she was a Christian, and she'd made the choice, in spite of the problems, to remain in the marriage. She wasn't leaving it. I asked her how she came to that decision. And she told me that early in her marriage, she realized that this person she married was not the person she thought he was. And so she began to seek the Lord and began to pray and study how God would have her to approach that, what she would have, he would have her to do about that situation. 
And she was so dissatisfied and so discontent in that marriage that what she was really seeking was for God to tell her that it was okay to leave. That's what she wanted to hear from him. Instead, what God impressed upon her is that she should begin to be thankful for him. Don't leave him. Begin to be thankful for him. She told me that was probably one of the most difficult things God ever asked her to do. But she was obedient, even though it was evident this was going to be a very difficult task. But she decided what God had impressed her to do was thank, be thankful for this husband that God had given to her. And so the first day after she, God revealed that to her, listen to this, she thanked God that her husband wasn't Adolf Hitler. <laughs> That's the best she could do that first day. <laughs> well, it got a little better the second day. The second day she thanked God he wasn't a bank robber or a child abuser. <laughs> a little better. By the third day, God got a hold of her. And she thanked God that he was a man who really wanted to do right, was a man who really did care about her and about her family. And by the third day, her entire perspective had changed. By the third day, she realized this person she was with was worth staying with and worth making a home together with. Now, that's not to say that they still don't have problems. They still do have problems. But she stuck with it and made the best of that situation that originally seemed to her to be unworkable. And she did all of that because of a change in her perspective that occurred many years before because she chose to be thankful instead of discontent. Now, folks, that story illustrates for us what I believe the Bible is telling us this morning. Every day of your life, God is going to make, or Satan rather, is going to make sure that discontent and thanksgiving square off against each other. Amen. Every day, every day. Every day in your life, you're going to be placed into a situation just like that where you must make a choice. Are we going to whine and complain about where we are and about what's happening to us and happening around us? Or are we going to accept where we are, that we are where God wants us to be, and thank him that his perfect plan is being worked out in us? And whatever the choice you make determines our perspective about the situation and about everything else that comes into our lives. Believer, let me tell you something this morning. I want to encourage you, as I encourage myself this week. Don't ever let your circumstances change what you know about God. Don't ever let your circumstances change what you know about God. We belong to a good Father. God loves us, and God cares about us, and God only wants what is best for us. And whether we are sitting in the promised land, or whether we are exiled in Babylon, those facts about God don't change. He's still the same. Let me encourage you. Be thankful no matter where you are. No matter where you find yourself. No matter what you're going through. Don't allow the discontent to steal your joy. Rest in him. Let him do his perfect work in you. Allow thanksgiving to create your perspective. And you're going to see God work in ways that you've never been aware of before. When you choose thanksgiving over discontent. Let's pray.